calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Realm Presents, a Dagaz Media production, The Dark Tome, Book of Stories, featuring Henry by Fred Greenholge, read by the author. My clearest memory of the night of the apocalypse, prophesied for December 21st, 2012, was the pounding, torrential winter's rain on the windshield of her late 90s Honda, a growling roar only challenged in volume by the snoring in the back seat by Henry, our new old dog. We'd left the shelter only minutes before, and we'd been warned to expect a car ride from hell due to Henry's attachment disorder. Instead, the fox-red Ridgeback mutt went right to sleep, snoring away like a Husqvarna on a chainsaw with a spent muffler. Surprisingly, our nine-month-old daughter, a notorious insomniac, was sleeping in her car seat, happily crashed out beside him. Uh, apparently, the dog's somnolescence was infectious. To our friends later, we, we joked our ironic end of the world party included ample helps of wine, cheese, and cheese with wine, but precious few horsemen and plagues of locusts. We burned things. <laughs> what kind of apocalypse themed party in the main woods would be complete without immolation? And made jokes about the things we'd love to see perish when the world went away reality TV, flavored vodka, Justin Bieber. We poured out the last of kerosene on the alien bonfire. The flame's eruption felt alive, like a phoenix, a monster of heat and light. The brief conflagration cast our shadows back, slanted, then succumbed to the pelting rain. <laughs> and then, joking with mock disappointment, our friends went home and we went to bed. <laughs> the apocalypse, you say, what a non-event. We'd had a three-year break since our last dog, so we anticipated a learning curve with a new canine in the house. We knew all about Henry's special needs, epilepsy, anxiety, hallucinations, and discussed these in detail with the shelter's staff vet. We'd signed paperwork affirming our understanding. Even so, we were scared to hell that first night at three in the morning when Henry leapt out of his new dog bed howling at the wall as if an army of jackals was after him. It happened in that vulnerable part of early morning where reality and dreams get foggy, <laughs> a situation not helped by pounding a $10 box of wine before bed. 
I was dreaming about the fire or maybe the weird figures I'd seen in the shadows when the house erupted with fierce barking that made the rafters ring like Christmas carolers. My wife leapt out of bed to comfort Henry. I'm almost ashamed to say I rolled over pretending I hadn't woken. I struggled to hold on to sleep, thwarted by a sharp icy prickle escalating up my spine. My swirling, foggy head was back in the dream world for a moment, and in that fog I saw the fire, the smoke, a shadow, a shape extending its clawed fingers towards me, and then Henry barked me out of the nightmare. He snarled at dancing shadows at the wall, his throatiness not a chainsaw this time, but a diesel engine in low gear. There was no pretending I was still asleep anymore. My wife and I shared a look in the near dark, and I nodded a signal saying I'd take baby duty while she comforted our new, apparently dream-haunted dog. But the baby was asleep, oblivious to the noise of Henry, unaffected by her chronic night terrors. It was a blessing, given my family had slept few consecutive hours in the last nine months. I smirked, enjoying how easily I'd gotten off, and crawled back into bed as my wife snuggled Henry. The pattern continued. Days, Henry slept, snoring loud as a snowblower, practically rattling the dishes in the cupboard. At night, Henry would wake from his slumber, howling like a stuck weasel, clawing the air and gnashing his teeth at unseen opponents. His scarce waking hours were spent devouring food, taking a brief moment outdoors to piss and shit, and then collapsing once more on dog bed. My wife and I spoke in hushed tones about it. What were we to do? A dog who slept constantly save for bursts of ferocious activity was one strange man's best friend. Nonetheless, he was the dog we'd fallen in love with at the shelter and knew we must rescue. We'd seen the longing in his eyes, first in the photo on the shelter website, and then in the look he shot us from the isolation of his solo kennel. Don't you need me? Those eyes said, because I sure need you. The shelter offered no recommendation, only a nod to the waiver we'd signed. Our veterinarian recommended increasing his epilepsy medications. We tried that. We tried phenobarbital, potassium bromide, diazepam, felbinate, zanasamide, and levetiracetam. Later, under consultation with a spiritualist canine naturopath, we tried valerian root, mugwort, lily of the valley, reiki, acupuncture, massage, a thundershirt, and singing to him. All were powerless against the night monsters. We were at our wit's end. It had been nearly three months, and we'd made no progress of thwarting Henry's nightly fits of dream violence. We were used to nights of little sleep. Being parents to a sleep-tormented baby prepared us for that. But there was something about Henry's night terrors that unraveled us more than our human child's. We'd burned through the money we'd set aside for a vacation and consulted with every animal caregiver in a hundred-mile radius, traditional and non-traditional. In the dark hours of night, I thought about bringing him back. I'd feel dirty, even entertaining the thought, and never did I dare breathe these words to my wife, but since she felt them too. But then I'd close my eyes and remember the playful pup we met on our trial playdate. The dog who bonded with me the first moment I threw a scuffed tennis ball across the slick, wet courtyard of the shelter. So we endured. On our daughter's first birthday, it stopped. We didn't even notice what had happened until it was the following morning. We woke with stunned surprise at the first rays of morning, rather than with Henry's ruckus. He looked angelic, actually, laying in his dog bed, his jaw curled in a slight smile as if he'd won an epic battle. The following week, we had our one-year wellness visit with a pediatrician, a nurse practitioner who positively glowed when she heard the news about her daughter's improved sleep. Our kid crushed the mama and data tests, correctly identified a turkey, and was perfectly within spec on her height and weight tables. Her weird rashes were gone, and as if simply to impress, she took her first awkward steps on the floor of the pediatrician's toy-strewn office. 
We were floating on cloud nine when we returned to our car, only to find that Henry had devoured the seats. And there he sat, positively grinning with yellow foam debris everywhere, the strands from a severed seatbelt hanging in his mouth like the tail of a murdered pest. Well, uh, after the backseat incident, we juggled our life around so that one of us could always be available for Henry. It took some doing, but I arranged it so I could work from home, which had the happy byproduct of freeing up nearly two hours in my day. I allocated much of this liberated time to go on walks with Henry. Never was I so grateful to have a property abutting nearly a thousand acres of Maine woods. Most days, my daughter came in tow, snuggled in a front-loading baby carrier, and this day was no exception. It was early May, a ripe spring day in Maine, when the trees are budding, the days are long, and full of possibilities, and not yet full of black flies and mosquitoes. We'd been walking daily, a similar route for nearly a month now, and Henry was incredibly well-behaved on leash. He never tugged or lagged behind, and instead he matched me, pace for pace, tongue lolling out happily. That afternoon, it seemed to me he was hungering for a breath of freedom, the opportunity to run free, but yet deferred to me. <laughs> so it was that I let him off leash for the first time, and indeed he enjoyed his newfound freedom, yet also respected my calls for him. I felt the sun on my face, the kind of sun that burns away the trauma of shoveling six feet of snow every winter. We continued our hike. Our route followed zigzagging logging roads up to where the trail meets a transmission line, then bending right to follow the power poles for a mile before looping back into the woods. The view along the power line trail is gorgeous, offering the only glimpse of the white mountains you can get around here. And it was when I stopped to soak in the distant glimpses of nice that I realized Henry was out of sight. I started calling out for him. My daughter cried. A shadow passed by overhead, a, a raven, a plane, a cloud. There was no sign of what had blocked out the sun, but more, there was no sign of the dog. You can only move so quickly when you have a one-year-old strapped to your chest. I cried out at the top of my lungs and tried to make progress, but I couldn't know whether he'd run ahead of me or hung behind. Panic seized and paralyzed me. I could not possibly move fast enough to find him. I called my wife and she came to meet us, and we were all crying his name then, daughter too, in a weird, sorrowful symphony that echoed across the power line trail. Hi, I'm Alexis Ohanian. You may know me as one of the co-founders of Reddit, but more recently, a large part of my identity is being a father to my wonderful daughters. In my podcast, Business Dad, I hope to open the conversation about working parents a bit. You'll get to hear from a wide range of business dads, from Rain Wilson and Guy Raz to Todd Carmichael and Shane Battier, to find out how they balance being a dad with a successful career. Business Dad is available now, so be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We gave up the search as night started falling. Better not lose more of us out there, we decided. None of us wanted dinner that night, though I made a pot of chicken noodle soup out of habit. I was staring morosely at a spoonful of not salty enough broth when I saw a calm wisdom enter our daughter's eyes, and she said her new favorite word, Henry. My wife and I smiled indulgingly, and our daughter repeated, Henry. We were uncomfortable. How could we ever tell her? But then it was clear she was telling us. She repeated louder and louder, Henry. Henry, Henry, until at last we had the sense to look out the window and see the battered dog outside, returning raggedly from battle. What Henry fought that day, we were never to know. He didn't have the stink of skunk or sting of porcupine. 
something larger than a fox or a weasel. Uh, maybe a coyote must, must be. There were no bigger beasts in our area. Yet his wounds didn't look like those caused by another mammal. He had punctures up and down his back like he'd grappled with a many-headed hydra. The emergency vet sutured his many wounds and breathed air back into his collapsed lung. There was a checkbox on the form as to what caused the injury. After some consideration, they checked coyotes. Coyotes, we asked. Coyotes, they said. It took seven surgeries to save Henry that night. And in the weeks of his long recovery, our daughter fell sick, haunted again by the night terrors of her first few months. We'd nearly forgotten what those nights had been like. So spoiled were we by a dog and child that both slept soundly. Henry's disappearance in the woods had chilled me, but my daughter's cries were a nor'easter of the soul. There is something pure in a child's cries. It's unfiltered, unrestrained by an ego-driven need to appear strong. The terror that issued from her lungs was primeval, more like the lonely howl of a night creature than the words humans use to comfort each other by the bright light of day. There is no comfort to a cry like that. Parents are shamed into believing they must provide succor for their children's pain, but that's a myth taught to them by a society that denies death, that stalls the inevitable grind of aging with Botox and night creams and quarantines its elders into boxes ironically called homes, letting its wise ones waste away slowly out of sight, out of mind. The only comfort to that cry is to feel it with all its intractable pain and by owning it, pray it moves on. That's what I've come to believe now, at least. Then, we still thought we could solve it. The pediatrician had little advice to give, and there was silent judgment in her eyes as she read possible antidotes from a printed sheet. Avoid stressful conversations and screen time. Hold the child. Try changing up the bedtime routine. Abstain from sweets. Then she folded up the piece of paper and said, Maybe it's just normal? Normal. What a horrific word. Perhaps I thought our child was just feeling what is all around us all the time, and we have just enough ego to block the sheer terror of existing in a dispassionate, endless universe, a universe that will as cruelly take an ailing grandmother as it will a child who makes the wrong step towards traffic or a favorite pet or the entire species. Perhaps these fundamental truths of the frailty of humanity struck my child with the full light of truth in the darkness that hides just before the early morning. The pediatrician frowned, then added, I suppose you could try turning down the thermostat. Henry recovered in three weeks' time, and our daughter's nightly screams vanished. We were so relieved we didn't try too hard to find a connection, only cherished the synchronicity and the rediscovered blessing of whole nights of sleep. But I noticed something in the days after Henry recovered, a look he gave towards the edge of the woods, or the corner of the building, or the underneath of the refrigerator. It was always these edge places that caught that look, followed by a snarl, a growl, a bark. We adjusted to the strange new life with Henry, a dog who could not be left alone in a car or a building or a trusted off-leash. After months of trial and error, his prescription medication seemed to hit a sweet spot, and he no longer erupted into fits of violence, though the wariness he cast at Shadows never went away. Years passed. Our daughter grew older. She learned to bicycle, first on a glider bike and then on one with wheels. Her vocabulary exploded and imaginative stories would roll from her tongue, tales of elves and fairies and enchanted creatures that traipsed through our woods. She greeted her newborn baby sister. She had her first day at school. These were good years. We eventually grew comfortable with letting Henry wander our yard, but he never left our daughter's side. 
To the dark woods he stared always, a low growl at the edge of his throat, turning quickly to a lolling tongue when we approached him for affection. What unseen opponent lay out there? Only Henry knew. And though we joked about the shadows he constantly fought, we'd never tried to stop him. Only once did her elder daughter make the mistake of poking a finger from one of the scarred protrusions that lined his spine. She was five then, I think, and had no memory of the day Henry was lost in the woods, nor the battle to recover his health that followed. She was petting him, and so it was easy to follow his scruffy belly to a weird lump on his backbone spine. And then he howled. Not pain, exactly, but a deeper thing. A cry that touched that feral knowledge. We are alone in an uncaring universe where bad things happen. Winter Solstice, 2019. We could tell Henry was running out of time. His face had turned ashen. Arthritis had taken away his play. His voracious appetite had diminished. The endless unknown that waits all of us was close to him now. There was no way to prepare our daughters for what would happen. There is no satisfying answer and no preparation for the moment that comes. The moment of early morning where you find a cold, stiff body instead of a spirit filled with energy. That night I had wicked dreams. My dead mother called to me from behind a stone door. I followed her voice, expecting a reunion and finding instead a writhing mass of maggots. I heard Henry bark out into the night. Was this real or dream? Before the maggots fell away and were eaten by birds. I woke, staring at the shadows on the ceiling, the swaying limbs of distant pine trees backlit by full moonlight. My wife came then to whisper to me what had happened. When we told our daughters, they wailed. The whales said, It's only the thinnest of veils that separates a construct of normalcy, this thing that allows us to go through the motions of our lives, with the gaping maw of the endless. There is no way to tell this to a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. Yet they know, and they, not us, can show. For they can still see the veil for what it is and sing its song. After we cremated Henry, there was a cloud that hung in our home, palpable. With a sharp enough knife, you might be able to cut a sliver of the grief and spread it out before you. Perhaps then you could consume it or wash it or throw it away. <laughs> With affection, I looked at the remains of the back seat of our car, patched up but never fully repaired after the incident so many years before. With hearts heavy, we walked our familiar forest trails, Missing now the heavy, awkward stomping and panting of our constant friend. With the disarming loneliness, we performed our evening routine. With one fewer family member to feed at dinner time. On the third day, I put the dog collar, his leash, the dog bed, his food and water bowl, and his blaze orange jacket into a bag and burned them. My wife said we could have donated it all to the shelter. I said, I know. Three months later the news about shadow sickness broke. Those scientists had a better name for the disease, the public couldn't shake the images of how it left its victims. Lungs deprived of breath, eyes sunken, skin discolored, veins swollen like the limbs of a hydra. Far more deadly than the strain of coronavirus that never made it out of China the previous year. It surprised neither my wife nor I that the disease was a mutation of one that was first discovered in late December 2012, but inexplicably didn't achieve critical mass at the time. 
with sudden blazing clarity, we knew who had held back the disease this long. We thanked Henry for giving us as much time as we had and cursed ourselves for not seeing it sooner. Surely we would have done so many things differently if we'd only seen what we were in for. Did we truly appreciate every day for what it was? A miracle stolen from death? We watched as the apocalypse we joked about seven years prior gained strength, like a hurricane feeding from heat-swollen oceans. We watched what happened to Beijing, Sao Paulo, Cape Town, New Delhi, Miami, Seattle, Moscow, Paris, Madrid. But none of the horror we watched from the distance of a computer screen or podcast report could prepare us for the moment on a Sunday morning when we finished breakfast and heard it. Not a bark, not a howl, not a primeval yowl, but a wet, throaty cough. (coughs) My wife and I looked at each other and then looked at her elder daughter. A milky shadow hung beneath her right eye. She coughed again. (laughs) The shelter's website says that visitors are appointment only for the foreseeable future. But it doesn't take long to decide because I see the photo. Staring at me longingly, the same desperate look on the dog's face, though now I know I understood it all wrong. It's not that I need you, though I do, the dog seems to say. It's that you need me. (laughs) More than anyone will ever know. I click out the form to set up the appointment. I say I'd like to meet the older dog with medical problems and a big heart. Henry? Henry is a great name. I had a dog named Henry once, and I didn't rescue him. He rescued me. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. You've been listening to The Dark Tome, Book of Stories, produced by Dagaz Media and presented by Realm, your portal to another world. Full cast and crew credits and transcripts at thedarktome.com.